Good morning. Welcome. Would you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter, I'm sorry, no, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll just give you some updates of what we've got planned over the next month or so. Again, this next Sunday starts our our Christmas season. And um, it looks like we've got one more message to do, Lord willing, here today. I'm going to finish the armor, and then next week we'll look at Paul's section there on prayer. And then we'll, we'll um, dive into a series on the humanity of Christ. And as I've been studying for the last couple of weeks, I think it'll be a great encouragement to you. Um, blessing in looking at that. Um, usually, the church is focused on the deity of Christ, and rightly so, right? We're seeking to constantly defend the deity of Christ. But how much thought and study have we put into the humanity of Jesus? Understanding that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has two natures. Divine nature and human nature. And that He truly took on a human nature. And why is that necessary for our salvation? So I think it will be a great blessing to you. And uh, it has been already very encouraging to me as well. So we'll look at that through the month of December. And then also, like Jeremy mentioned, growth groups are going to be starting back up uh, on Sunday afternoons. But also, you can see in your bulletin there, um, we've got a a fellowship planned for December 15th. That's a Wednesday evening, 6.30, a Christmas fellowship. And I'll be uh, giving out some information about the cookie contest that we've been doing for a long time. Um, so we'll, we'll do that as well, Lord willing. And then December 24th, 6.30 p.m., we have our uh, yearly Christmas Eve Lord's Supper service. And we'll enjoy time around the table of the Lord there, Lord willing. Well, would you please stand with me one more time? And I'd like to read our text together. We've been looking at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And this morning we'll look at the last two pieces of armor together. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Let's read this together in unison. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Let's pray. Our Father, again, we ask Your blessing on the study of Your Word. We confess that we indeed fall short of taking up the armor as we ought. Thank You that You have provided it for us. And through the study of this text, teach us to take up the armor courageously and consistently and that we may see that You have given us the grace we need to stand against every scheme of the evil one. Make the practice of taking up and putting on the armor very clear to us so that we can see how to exercise it in the daily life that You have granted to us. We pray that You would be glorified in it and that we would truly see You and the Son in in Your saving glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The main idea of this text, as we've been talking about, is be strong in the Lord. Put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. And the Apostle Paul has been teaching us this by several points. We're asking the question, how can we do that? And we've looked so far at the reality that we need to embrace the ability for the war which comes from our position in Christ. And through our position in Christ, we have the power we need. So that was number one we talked about. Embrace the ability for the war. Number two, the Apostle Paul helps us to envision the adversary in the war. We've looked at this point already as well. He describes the devil as the scheming one. And then also his demonic army, which is an army of darkness and organization and power. But yet, even as we look at Paul's description of these things, we need not fear. He calls us to our attention to these truths in order to be alert, to be watchful, to be prepared, to be ready, because the evil one and his demonic army will attack the children of God. And so, what do we have to help us to stand in the evil day when we are attacked? Number three, we've been looking at the armor for the war. Employ the armor for the war. And again, you can follow this along in your outline that I've given to you in your, in your bulletin today. And so as we look at the armor again this morning, we'll look at the last two pieces. God has provided to us His armor. I want you to just think about that thought. It's His armor. It says that multiple times. The armor of God. This isn't your armor. It's been given to you, but it's His armor so that you can stand against the schemes of the evil one whenever he and his army attacks. It's his truth you have to guard you. It's his righteousness, not your own. It is his gospel of peace. The faith even that he provides to you through the Word and the Spirit is your shield and so on. And so, because it is God's armor, it is indeed powerful for you. It's his armor. And He gives it to every one of His children. Satan is no match for the force of God's armor. You need to know that. Remember 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare, that's exactly what we're talking about here, are not of the flesh. They're not weak. They're not visible, but they're not weak. But have divine power to destroy strongholds. And that's where the battle lies. It's in the strongholds of of what our thoughts are and what we believe and and the philosophies that we're taught. But the weapons that God gives us have divine power to destroy 
strongholds. And again, God has given His armor to every one of His children. It's not some Christians that have the armor of God and others don't. All of us are given this armor in Christ. And we're taught in this text how to use it. God giving us His armor is not like Saul giving David his armor. Remember that story in the Old Testament where David goes out to fight Goliath and Saul says, here, take my armor. And David tries to put it on as a young man. It's too big and it's cumbersome and it's, and it, you know, it's falling around. He's like, I can't, I can't fight with this. No, God's armor upon us is more like David running in the strength of the Lord toward Goliath to powerfully feed him. That's the way the armor works. Because of Christ's saving work in our lives, God's armor fits each one of us perfectly. And God empowers the armor as each of His children use it against the evil one as they seek to stand against the devil and his demonic assault. So we've looked at the first several pieces. We've looked at fastening on the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness and putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and taking up the shield of faith. And we've sought to apply these to our lives in real situations that each one of us have been through. So this morning, let's return and look at letter E in our outline. This this next piece of armor, take the helmet of salvation. We just began to look at it last week, so let's let's look at this in detail this morning. It's found in, in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Again, the words that Paul uses, the verb he introduces this by, take the helmet of salvation. It's, it's that sense of you see the enemy approaching, you feel his breath, and you grab up the helmet of salvation, you put it on, you use it right away. The illustration that he has in mind, the helmet of Paul's day in the Roman army per se, uh, was made of metal. And it was most of the time a bronze formed over an iron skull cap. And inside that skull cap would be some sort of material like leather or canvas or something to, to pad the, hat, the helmet on the, on the soldier's head. And during the time of Paul's writing, helmets were made with additional pieces to protect the nose, even the face with cheek flaps, and, and even the back of the neck so that when a big broadsword would come flying at your head, it could graze off of those pieces of metal and protect maybe the most vital part of your body. And so that's what Paul has envisioned here with the illustration. <clears throat> but when it comes to us and what Paul is teaching us, we have to know that our helmet is salvation. Just like each one of these pieces of armor, stand with the belt of truth. The belt is truth. The spiritual belt is truth. And the breastplate is the righteousness of Christ. And so on. The helmet is salvation. It is our salvation. What does Paul mean then? I want to remind you that Paul is not talking to people who need to become saved. That's important with this. He's not saying put on the helmet by receiving Christ as Savior. He's He's writing to people who are already saved and already in the war against the evil one. And so then what does Paul mean by this? If we already are saved, well, how do we put on the helmet of salvation? How do we exercise that? Well, one of the ways we can try to understand what Paul is saying is by the form of this word. That word for salvation, if you were to look in the original language, this is the only time in all of Paul's writings where he uses this form of the word. And that gives you some clues. Like, okay, Paul, what are you talking about? You've never used this word before in all of your writing. 
And this word for salvation only appears three times in all of the New Testament. But when you go back and you read the Old Testament, in the Greek language, and maybe you've heard the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint. Right? You've heard of that. Well, that's, that was Jesus' Bible back in the days when He walked the earth. That's the Bible that the apostles read. It's called the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Well, this word for salvation is all over the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so that gives us a hint that Paul is probably alluding to something there in the Old Testament. Well, what text would he be referring to? And it's most likely that he's referring to Isaiah 59.17. It's a wonderful text that speaks of God and armor. It says this, referring to God, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped Himself in zeal as a cloak. Does that ring a bell? It sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, doesn't it? The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. This is probably the text that Paul was, was referring to. Well, what is it talking about there in Isaiah? Well, if I can put it simply, or try to put it simply, this verse is demonstrating, illustrating, God's spiritual military advance as He calls His people to turn from sin and trust in Him. Right? God, God doesn't, you know, as we're talking about God in the Old, in the Old Testament here, God the Father, He doesn't have a head, right, to put a helmet on. He's a spirit. So these are anthropomorphisms. This is God spoken of in human terms. But it's an illustration for us to see how does God advance in, in the work of salvation, in the battle of salvation for the good of His people. It's as if God is girding Himself with armor and commanding His people to take hope in His righteousness, in His power, in His zeal to repay His enemies and rescue His people. And and that salvation, that power to save that God put on His own head, it's it's as if Paul is saying, "This this is your helmet too, believer. The power of God to save is yours. It's with you. It's protecting you. It's keeping you. God has provided us who are in Christ the promise and the power of His salvation as our helmet in the fight against the evil one. Well, in other words, let's say it this way, we can keep our heads in the heat of the battle of temptation because we know and we're convinced that God is able to destroy His enemies and the enemies of our soul. Remember, remember Martin Luther's him, one little word shall fell him. That is Satan against the power of God to save. And you have that salvation in your possession. God has you in His saving possession. And in Christ, God has destroyed the works of the devil. God's salvation is your spiritual helmet. And we can stay in the conflict because we know, here's how this is applied then, we know that God's salvation is the power to keep us safe spiritually and eternally. God's salvation is the power to keep you. That's how this becomes applied in spiritual warfare. 
Because the evil one would want you to think that you might be lost eternally as a child of God, which is impossible. If you belong to Christ, you belong to Him forever. We can stay in the conflict and keep fighting against the evil one because we know God's salvation is the power to keep us. God will keep you, Christian, child of God. That's certain. Listen to the words of Christ. John 10, 27 through 30. These are some of my favorite verses about the assurance of salvation. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. You hear that? That's the helmet of salvation. The power of God to keep you. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. That means He has the power to keep you and no one can take you out of His hand. Right? My Father who has given to me, them to Me, these sheep, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Think of it this way. You can build a mental picture. You as God's sheep are in Christ's hand. But that's not the only hand that Jesus says has you. What's the other hand? The Father's hand. You are, you are kept in the hand of the Son and the hand of the Father. And no one is even close to has the power to take you out. If you are a true child of God, you will be forever kept. It doesn't matter what temptations or doubts the evil one would tempt you with. It's irrelevant. This is what Jesus says. And He is the one with infinite, eternal power to say. Or here's another verse. A few chapters earlier in John, another set of favorite verses of mine, John 6, 37-40. All that the Father gives to Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. You hear that? All who come to Christ in true faith and trust in Him, He receives and will never cast out. Why? Jesus says, because I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Well, what's the will of Him who sent you, Jesus? This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. Jesus will not lose one soul given to Him by the Father for salvation. Not one. you hear that? That's awesome to think about. It's absolutely incredible. The Father says to the Son, these sheep I want you to save, and none of them will slip through the fingers of Jesus. Jesus will not miss saving one that the Father has given Him. But what does Jesus will do? He will raise it up on the last day. It's not just about salvation now. It's salvation forever. On the last day when all will be raised from the dead and brought into the eternal existence, Jesus will not lose track of you if you are His child. He will raise you up and bring you forever into the presence of God. For this is the will of My Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. It's beautiful. Everyone who looks on the Son, trusts in Christ, and believes in Him will have eternal life. And Jesus will raise that person up in the last day. See, God has conquered Satan and nothing, nothing will undo the victory of Christ in our behalf and for our eternal glory. We are kept. We are loved. We will enjoy Christ forever. 
And nothing can undo God's, uh, the work of God in this. That knowledge and confidence is the helmet of salvation for you. But there's another way to apply this as well. Not only is God's salvation about the power to keep us, but the, God's salvation is also about His power to complete us. So Paul wants you to look at that final day when you will be perfected. Free from the presence of sin. He says it well in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. Again, he's saying something very similar. If Christ has given you the gift of salvation, and you are his child, he he won't leave you unfinished. He will continue to make you like Jesus, and one day make you perfect and ready for His presence forever. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8-10. Listen, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and listen, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's an interesting way to talk about it, isn't it? The, hope of, the helmet is the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Do you see what Paul's getting at there? What does he call the helmet? The hope of salvation. If we're saved now, then why do we hope in it? He's talking about the final salvation we call glorification, right? Here's a little salvation theology for you. When the Bible talks about salvation, it puts it into three parts, right? Justification. The sinner declared righteous. Sanctification. The sinner made into the image of Christ. Glorification. The sinner made completely perfect and ready for the presence of God. Well, you're justified. You're being sanctified, but you're not glorified yet. You'd be glorified if you were in heaven. And so when, we talk, when Paul talks about the hope of salvation... He's talking about glorification, the last phase of salvation. He's saying if it started, if you've been justified, you're going to be glorified. So let that hope live in your heart. This means that our helmet features not only the present security of God's salvation, but also the certain hope of God's future salvation. Well, how does this apply to you? How can this be your helmet then in, in the heat of the battle? Listen. This battle that you are in right now as a believer will not last forever. That's the hope of salvation. Satan will not always be wrestling against you. You will not always groan under the burden of trials and weakness. Are you tired of that yet? That's your helmet of salvation. Because you can look ahead and see the hope that's coming. You will not always feel the pull of a sinful world system on your affections. You will not always struggle against your sin and your temptation, even into the depths of your heart. One day, very soon, Christ will return 
and you will experience the rest of the gifts of your eternal inheritance forever. It's coming soon. What are we living for? We're not living for this life. We're living for eternity with God and our brother Christ and our eternal family that never sins and the work that God has made us to do forever with great joy. This earth is nothing compared to what eternity will be. You have to think of eternity rightly, dear ones. You think this earth is good? Many gifts are good that God has given to us. Eternity will be so much better. You're not going to be floating around a cloud playing a harp, right? Get, get, those, get those television lies out of your mind. God is going to create, listen, a new heaven and a new earth. And every holy desire that you have will be fulfilled perfectly and beyond your imagine, imagination. It will be satisfied in the presence and love of Christ. You think it's going to be less in any way than this earth? Not a chance. It's going to be everything that God has designed and far better than what we could imagine. And one day, you will be finally and completely delivered when Christ returns into His care forever. And you will be forever granted relief. And God will not mix up His children with His enemies on that day. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-10. He says, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. You need to understand something, dear ones. Relief is not now. What is now? Now is war. Now is the fight to believe. Now is the fight to make disciples. Now is the fight to resist temptation. We're building the army, right? God is at work advancing His kingdom. This is no game, right? This is, this is war. We're fighting against the powers of darkness. That's what Paul is describing here. But relief is coming. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be forever. So keep fighting in the grace that God supplies. And relief is on the way. And knowing that helps us to keep our heads in the fight when the battle gets long and hard. You know relief is coming. So our helmet is God's salvation. And two aspects help us to apply it. His power to keep us and His power to complete us. That's the helmet. And that helmet will enable you to be patient, keep standing, wait for the coming of the Lord, be at peace, and to be assured that you belong to God no matter what assails you in this life. Yes, our enemy will attack. Discouragement. He will try to discourage you. He will try to destroy you. He will try to give you doubt. He will try to cause you dismay or fear. He will try to distract you. 
to, get, to make you discontent? Right? Do you ever have long struggles against sin? You ask yourself, when, am I, when is this going to be done? When am I going to get over this issue in my heart, in my life? God, take this away from me. Will you, will you deliver me from this temptation? They get long. They get hard. Long trials. Trials keep piling on. I, just when you're about, you know, about making some progress under one trial, another one comes, right? Ongoing struggles with assurance of salvation. Worldly distractions. A sense of discontent with your own life and the world around you. All those things can cause you to be weary and discouraged. Well, how do we respond? We put on the helmet of salvation. Well, how do I do that? Rehearse and rejoice in the truth that God has the power to save, especially when you're under the attack. He will attack typically when you have felt earthly losses. That's when the evil one attacks, when you feel the earthly loss. When you struggled against those temptations of sin in the world around you and you failed, when you've sensed your personal weakness and deficiencies, when you've been disappointed by the direction of the world around you and you feel like worrying or fretting or being angry and giving up, it's right then that you need to put on the helmet of salvation. You must remember that your salvation is guarded in Christ and, your, and fix your hope completely on the second coming of Christ, when you will be finally and fully rescued and rewarded and forever relieved. Remember what the song says? We, we sang it a couple of weeks ago. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. Well, it feels long. Well, get perspective. Get that biblical perspective. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To those who vanquish evil, or I think the original text is to him that overcometh, right? A crown of life shall be. They with the King of glory shall reign eternally. That word, to him that overcometh, I like better because it comes right from the book of Revelation. To him that overcomes. Phrase over and over again. It's persevering faith, right? But the helmet of salvation helps us to that. You need to read and meditate on the Scriptures that remind you of your salvation present and future, and keep standing against the attacks of the evil one. That's how you put on the helmet. John, write, write these references down. John 6, 37-40. We talked about that one. All that the Father gives to me comes to me, and he who comes to me I will not cast out. John 10, 27-30. You need to read all of Romans 8 if you need to put your helmet on. All of Romans 8. It begins with no condemnation. It ends with, we are kept safe. In the love of Christ. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to, 16 to 18. This is, a, this is a text that I pray for many of you mature saints that though the outer man perishes, the inner is renewed day by day. This momentary light affliction is working for us. A magnificent weight of glory beyond all comparison. You need that text. That's the helmet of salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work and you will keep, keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.17-21, oh, I love this text. It talks about when the Lord returns, that He will give us a body just like His, imperishable, immortal. 
wonderful text. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You need that text. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. That's the one we read earlier that talks about God bringing relief through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You need that text. And then Jude 24 and 25. Of course, you know that. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His presence with joy. And so on. Great texts. You need those. The attacks of the evil one cannot overcome the salvation of God. God's armor is more powerful than all of the hosts of darkness. So put on the helmet. Set your mind on the security of your salvation now and the promise of your salvation to come. Okay, final piece of armor. Take the sword of the Spirit. Letter F. Take the sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. Two kinds of swords were known in Paul's day. One of them was a sword that you would take with both hands. It was massive and you would, you know, ah, you could imagine one of those, those big Scottish soldiers in one of these armors just swinging around his head, just knocking whatever comes in view. That's it. That is a, called a massive, large, broadsword. Well, that's not the sword that Paul has in mind here. This is a different word. There was this much smaller two-edged dagger, maybe it could be six inches, even to 24 inches long, varied in size, that would be attached to the girdle belt, the right side of the soldier, and quickly drawn out for close, precision, slice and stab hand-to-hand combat. It wasn't this, it was, you know, it was very skillful, precision fighting. That's what Paul has in mind here. It's a weapon designed for precision, exact, skillful fighting. So is your sword, your spiritual sword, the sword of the Spirit. Our spiritual sword is for exact, precision, skillful fighting. It's the Word of God. You see that? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit. Notice that first. The sword of the Spirit. Why does he call it that? It's because this sword is authored and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Authored and empowered. He is its source and its strength as we spiritually stand and slice and stab the army of darkness with its truth in a spiritual way. The strength of our fight to stand does not come from ourselves, but comes from the power of the sword of the Spirit. This is very important to know. You can't stand and fight against the evil one with the arm of flesh. Again, the song talks about that. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You need a supernatural, Spirit-empowered weapon. And you have it. It's called the sword of the Spirit. You need to think of this rightly. It is the sword of the Spirit. You can wield it in your spiritual life, but it is empowered and and crafted by the Holy Spirit. 
It is the only offensive weapon you have and the only one you need. Paul also calls it the Word of God. Now, the word for word here is not the most common word for word in the New Testament. The most common word for word in the New Testament is one you've probably heard of, logos, right? You've heard that word, Greek word, logos. That word is often referred to uh, when, when someone's talking about Jesus Christ Himself. He is like First John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's the word logos. Or this is the word. Logos is often the word referred to the written Word of God in general. But this word is a different word. This is the word rhema. Maybe you've heard of that as well. It's a Greek word rhema. Now what does... And the reason I, I don't usually talk like this because it, it doesn't usually help, but I'm doing it today because I think it'll help. This word rhema right here is a very important word. It's more specific. Listen, it refers to the specific spoken word of God. It's talking about the spoken word of God. For example, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he demonstrated the use of Rhema. Remember what remember that what happened there? The devil attacked Jesus, tempting him in three different ways. And Jesus counterattacked Satan's temptations with specific, accurate, accurately handled, fitting, spoken words from the mouth of God. Remember Jesus' counterattack? He introduced each one by saying, What? It is written. You say this to me, evil one. It is written, and he spoke the word of God. You will not tempt the Lord your God. Each counterattack that Jesus made was specific. It had exactly to do with Satan's attack, and it was spoken accurately and powerfully. This is the exact meaning of your sword, Christian. Your sword is the spirit authored, spirit empowered word spoken to quickly, accurately, and precisely counter the specific attacks of Satan. I'm going to say that again because it's very important for us to understand this. and We'll apply it together as well. Your sword is the Spirit-authored, Spirit-empowered Word spoken to quickly, accurately, and precisely counter the specific attacks of Satan. Now let's think about this. Satan's attacks. Okay? All kinds of deception. Right? And we're not going to we're not going to spend much time on the attack. I want to talk about your action. Satan's attack. All kinds of attacks at any and every, every place in your Christian walk of faith. He's going to attack you with a lie. But your sword can parry away and counterattack every one of Satan's assaults. So you must take up the sword by knowing, accurately understanding, and even having memorized exact words of God that provides a skillful, and fitting response to Satan's specific attacks. That's what you need to do. That's how you use the sword of the Spirit. That's what David said, the psalmist, Psalm 119.105. It's a verse we've all memorized as children. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm not advocating that you have a scriptural conversation or argument with Satan like Jesus did. I do not encourage believers to do that. The Bible doesn't command us to start talking to Satan. There's a lot of goofiness out there. 
that the people say, well, you need to go around your house and like, you know, put incense around and this and that, and you need to speak into the air and do, no, I'm not, don't talk to Satan. When I, when I think of, um, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when some believers talk to Satan, uh, the sons of Sceva by name, they were a, were a big surprise. The demons came jumping out of those people and, and left them beaten and bruised and naked. So uh, don't talk to demons, okay? Don't talk to Satan. You don't need to. But what I think this text does command us to do is to take up the Word of God and speak it even out loud. If to no one else, then your own heart. Okay, that's, that's the important thing. And to God Himself in prayer. And we'll talk about this next week because prayer is a big deal when it comes to spiritual warfare. To God Himself so that the specific deceptive attack of the evil one will be destroyed by the spoken truth of God's Word. This is how you use the Word to destroy strongholds in sinfulness or in false thinking and bring every thought captive to Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. How do you, how do you destroy strongholds of thinking and temptation? The spoken Word of God. You think and you meditate and you memorize and you know it and you speak it and you hear it and, and you pray it to the Lord and the sword of the Spirit destroys those strongholds and brings your thoughts captive to Christ. When you're weak and laid low, you need to be able to bring the spoken Word of God to your lips. And if you're too weak to speak it with your lips, speak it in your heart. Take up the sword of the Spirit when Satan attacks you. Sometimes you won't have the time or ability or desire to leaf through your Bible or text a friend or, or do a Google search to find the right verses. You need to have it in your heart. And if that's all you can do, make a, a search, then do it, right? But, but get started now hiding the sword of the Spirit in your heart. Take it up. Have it at your side. Whenever the evil one may attack. Attach it to the belt of truth. And there it will be immediately accessible to you. You need it at home when you're shepherding your children. Right? You're right in the midst of a situation and, you, and you're interchanging with them and you're like, Sometimes you just can't go, hold on. And, you, and you, you take a half an hour to figure out what you want to say to them. No, you need God's Word in your heart to speak right into the situation and destroy a stronghold of thinking with the truth of God. That's how you shepherd your children. You need it at the workplace when you are confronting a lie or temptation with truth in love. You need, you need it at, at the park or the store when you meet someone who is asking questions and searching for the truth. You've got to have... We're, aren't we on a mission? Are we not fighting not only for the lies in our own mind, but for the lies in other people's minds? And giving them the truth of God's Word. This is how you gird on the sword of the Spirit. You've got to have it at the ready. You've got to be able to wield it on your feet. You will need it when you're sitting in front of the screen and are compelled to look at something that offends the holiness of God. You need it right there. Right to your lips. You need to be able at a second's notice to connect the right Scripture with Satan's attack and take up the sword of the Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. I'm not talking about Him giving you new revelation. No. Yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But what He does to speak to us is He brings the written Word of God right here that's already inspired and complete for us and authoritative. 
He brings it to your mind because you've already hidden it in your heart. And He brings it to your mind at the proper occasion that you need it. That's the life of a believer. That's how you gain wisdom for specific steps in your walk with the Lord. What should I do in this situation as you're seeking in prayer? And the Lord will bring, the Spirit of God will bring the Word of God to your mind, your heart. He'll recall it. And this is why we emphasize the preaching and teaching of God's Word so much around here. It is the spoken Word of the living God that has been ordained by God to be an effective weapon against the lies of the evil one. This is God's, this is God's method. This is God's way. And this is why you must know and understand the Word of God. Each verse properly understood in its context and, and know how to apply it accurately and skillfully to a situation. Every believer is called to that. That's why you must memorize the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Satan will attack you with all kinds of deception, even though even through channels that seem so right and good. Remember, he, he used Scripture with Jesus. Didn't he? He did. He used Scripture to, to tempt the Son of God. And he appears as an angel of light. You need the Word of the Ready. When he tempts you to deny the character of God, you need Psalm 100 verse 5, right? The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. You need these verses right there to doubt your salvation. John 6.37, right? All that the Father gives to me. We've talked to that verse today. Disobey God's specific commands. Well, I need 1 Thessalonians 5.3. This is the will of God, my sanctification, that I should abstain from fornication. Right? All these verses can come rushing back to your mind. There's, there's a verse for every issue that you may struggle with in your life. Maybe He would discourage you because of struggles of sin in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you would be made the righteousness of God in Him. You need that verse, right? And, and so many more. Dear ones, you must have at the ready the spoken Word of God, accurately understood, skillfully used to counter the attack of Satan. And you must teach your children to do the same thing in the same way. You must. I remember, let me just share a little story. I know that many kids deal with fear. I did as a child. I had some really difficult issues with fear. My, my father passed away when I was two. And so I thought, well, I, my parents, I only have one left. And I just really had an anxiety of separation, right? And so I remember it all came to a head one day in second grade. And uh, I just, I, I had a fit. Six-year-old kid, I remember this so well. And one of the pastors of the school that I went to took me down to his office and he sat there just a few moments with me and taught me John, uh, Joshua 1.9, right? Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he taught me how to trust God in the midst of my fear. And that, that really turned a corner in my life. We need to do that with our kids. We need to do that with our kids. It makes a big difference. You need to feed them the Word of God so that they learn to speak the Word of God to themselves when they are tempted to all different temptations. Our children do not need worldly psychology. They don't need it. It won't help them. It will enslave them. They need the Word of God rightly and clearly understood and powerfully applied to their specific struggles and questions. Our words are not divinely powerful, but God's words are. 
dads, moms, if you are not regularly and accurately teaching your children God's Word and helping them to memorize God's Word, what are you giving them so that they can stand against the schemes of the devil? What are you giving them then? Because they're going to get hit with temptations just like you and I. They're going to be hit with false teaching. Dads, you are, are, are you going to delegate the equipping of your children for spiritual warfare entirely to your wives? Are you going to do that? Or are you going to own it in your own family? This is your responsibility. Men, you must be responsible to give your families the sword of the Spirit. God has given you His strength to do so if you are in Christ. There's nothing more important than this. Take up the sword and get it ready for when you're attacked. The time to understand and memorize God's Word is now. There may be a day, there may come a day when you don't have a Bible to turn to. What will you have then? Only what's in your memory. This is so important for us. This is so important for us. Be strong in the Lord and put on God's armor so that you may be able to stand in the war. God has given to us all that we need. We have the sword. We have a helmet. We have a shield. We have shoes. We have a breastplate. We have a belt. What a glorious set of armor that God has given to us in Christ. Think on these things. Understand them. Pray about them. And begin to use them day by day. As I conclude the message for today, I want to say this. Let's, for today, and we'll talk about some more things next week, but for today, I I want us to just think about our Heavenly Father and how good He is and how gracious that He would give to us this spiritual armor in Christ to stand against all the schemes of the evil one. Isn't He good? He doesn't just say, all right, I, got, I, got, I gave you righteousness, now figure out the rest on your own. He gives us this armory so that we can walk in the darkest valley and emerge victorious. Remember, remember in Pilgrim's Progress, when he came to the palace beautiful, and, and the ladies there took him into the armory and they show, and he showed them, they showed them all of the pieces of armor that they had, had, had collected there from days of old and men of renown throughout the scriptures. And, and then they gave him his armor, and that's when he went down to the valley of humiliation and, and fought against Apollyon. God has given to us all that we need. Let's worship him this morning with thankful hearts for these spiritual provisions. And, and let our thanksgiving, by God's grace, develop into diligent responsibility. Don't just say, thank you, God, and then forget about it. Let it develop, by God's grace, into diligent responsibility to stand and wield His armor in His strength for His glory. Listen to the words of Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and in He in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. 
Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is, right, is the right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And may we learn to turn our trust and hope from the things of earth and the thoughts of men to God alone. Psalm 33, 16-22 says, The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The warhorse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let the steadfast love, O Lord, let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in You. David talks about spiritual warfare too, doesn't he? And God's great victory. Are you a child of God today? Are you a child of God? Do you know Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you have this armor? Have you entered the war? By the grace of God, as before I pray, I want to remind you of Romans 5. You need Christ's salvation if you don't have it. You need it. Why? Because in that text, Paul writes that we are weak. We can't, we can't earn eternal life with God. We're too weak. He says in that text that we're ungodly. Our, our thoughts are not honoring God and thoughtful and loving toward God day in and day out. That's not who He created us to be. It says there even that we are sinners. What does that mean? We, we break God's law. And we deserve His eternal judgment because God is a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. And the text also says that we are His enemies. That's what the text says. Why? Because we've sinned and, and God hates sin and we still love our sin if we are not in Christ that's why you need salvation if you're not in Christ. Because you are weak, just like the rest of us were before we were saved. You're still weak, ungodly, sinful, and the enemy of God. You read it for yourself. It's in Romans 5. But what that text also says is that Christ died for people just like that, like us. He gives us His righteousness to cover our weakness. He obeyed perfectly when we can't. 
He gives us His atonement to cover our sin. He took our guilt and absorbed God's punishment against sin on the cross for us. He fills us with peace instead of enmity. And He brings God to be at peace with us. And He fills us with love, pushing out our ungodly thoughts. Do you have Christ? Has He changed your life like that? You can come to Him and have that salvation. Says the beginning of Romans 5, you can be at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust what Christ has done. His righteous life. His atoning death. His resurrection. That's what you need to be saved. You can trust in Him and He'll give it to you. Come to Him in faith. Don't waste another day apart from Christ. Would you stand and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful, so grateful for all that You've given to us in Christ. And even as I pray, I ask this morning that You would give us a clearer sense of the brevity of life, this life, this earthly life, and help us to see the the eternality and the substance of the next life. Father, I pray that You would call those who are still outside of Christ You would call them into His kingdom. That they would be given the faith they need to see their condition and the beauty of Christ to save. They would trust in Him. Father, do it. Help them to see the futility of self-righteousness and any other effort and any other trust for salvation other than Christ alone. And Father, help us who are already Your children by Your grace, to be eternally grateful and humble because we did not save ourselves. We didn't do anything to gain such love from You. You just give it to sinners like us freely. And help us, Lord, for Your glory and honor to stand and use the armor well by Your strength. We thank You for giving to us this armor. And may it, be, may it be used well by us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.